Right, let's get into uh, this evening's message. We are in the second part, or the first real part of our new series called Why Bother? And this evening's theme is Why Bother to Worship? And in this series, over the next few weeks, we really wanted to get back to basics, um, things we need to recalibrate coming out of this coronavirus season, just getting back to some stuff it's good to revisit and remind ourselves of after so much disruption. And uh, this evening's about worship. And it was really encouraging, actually, last week here at 502, all the words and encouragements that we had as part of our time together around the theme of worship. A whole bunch of people got up after I'd spoken last week and and, uh, shared and encouraged us on the theme of worship, some things that people have been doing in terms of how they've kept worship alive over this time, uh, and uh, others exhorting us to worship God. And that was really encouraging before coming to this week's theme. Actually, just before lockdown, we were, those of you around might remember, we were in the book of First Peter, and back in February, just a couple of weeks before everything started to kick off, we looked at the theme of worship as we were going through First Peter. And on that occasion, I quoted from a book by a guy called Elliot Clark, a book called Evangelism as Exiles, and read this quote, which I'm going to read again. Those of you who are around, see if you remember the quote. This is what it says. Praise... It's the most natural thing in the world for us, and we do it all the time. We brag about our favorite sports team. We rave about restaurants. We shamelessly tell others about the deals we find online. We can't stop talking about the latest Netflix series or our last vacation. We adore musicians, endorse politicians, and fawn over celebrities. We promote our kids' school and boast about our morning coffee. We sing the praises of just about everything, even gluten-free pizza. But ask us to raise our voices in praise to God outside of weekend worship, and we struggle to string together a whole sentence. While we, and I include myself here, demonstrate an incredible ability to proclaim the glories of endless earthly trivialities, we somehow stutter and stammer at the opportunity to speak with others about our heavenly hope. So it's obvious our gospel silence isn't because our mouths are broken, it's because our hearts are Because if we worship God as we should, our neighbors, co-workers, and friends would be the first to hear about it. Now, when I read that at the beginning of the year, it kind of really slapped me in the face. Uh, I felt very convicted by what he's saying. And the reality is the things which Elliot Clark says in in those paragraphs have been highlighted and heightened even more over this season of lockdown. We've been in a time where there have been so many worries And increasingly, probably as time has gone on, more and more grumbles and complaints and cynicism. And at the same time, we've seen probably a lot of uh, worship happening, certainly online, in terms of things that people have been drawing attention to. All the things which people got distracted by or interested by uh, over the lockdown period, whether it was growing beards or keeping chickens or baking sourdough bread or working out who was doing the best takeaways or buying a new bike and finding there are no new bikes to buy because everybody else has been buying bikes or buying a puppy, which has become so popular. You can't seem to find a puppy for less than £2,000 now because everybody's been buying puppies or movies to watch or Netflix series to catch up on. So there's been lots of all that kind of stuff, which has really been different expressions of worship. But we might have felt worship of God to be much more challenging 
over this time. Elliot Clark talks about how outside of weekend worship, we might struggle to express our worship of God. Well, we haven't had weekend worship for months. We haven't really had corporate worship. Even what we're doing now is so different. We've had the musicians who've served us so brilliantly brilliantly for what we've been doing in our online services. Thank you to the musicians. Actually, let's just uh, applaud the musicians who's been helping us with that week by week. Good job. But it's not the same experience of worship, is it? It just isn't. And Elliot Clark, in in that passage, links worship to witness. It's as we speak about Jesus, as we draw attention to him, as we worship him, it, it, that's a witness. It calls people to Christ. Now, over this period, some have done pretty well at that. Some people have found opportunities to point to Jesus. Other people probably have found the challenges even greater. We haven't been seeing people in the same way that we normally would. We haven't been interacting with people. And now that we're back and we're doing physical gatherings again, which is great, We're still having to wear face masks and we're still not technically allowed to be singing behind them. And our worship has undergone such a severe disruption. I really miss our worship nights. uh, Those opportunities just to soak in the presence of God with my brothers and sisters and just have uninterrupted time of singing and praising God. And we haven't done that for months and there's no sign yet of when we will be able to. Our Worship has been so disrupted. So this is a really important subject for us to think about. Why is it that we worship? And especially at this time, how do we worship? And uh, I said this series is about covering some basics. I really want to go back to basics on this one and take us to the Ten Commandments. How much more basic than that can you get? So we're going to be in Exodus 20 and read the Ten Commandments. This is what it says. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony about your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his lawnmower or his car or his boat or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Why worship? 
Over the past few weeks, we've been doing a series called Out of the Wilderness, in which we've been looking at the example of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. And as we've uh, been in that series, we've seen again and again how often God warns the people about idolatry and how dangerous idolatry is. What idolatry does is promise us a way out. It promises us life and freedom and fulfillment and happiness, but what idolatry actually does is lead to self destruction. And the first three commandments that God gave his people are all about idolatry. God says, don't have any other gods, don't make any images of other gods, and don't misuse God's name. Don't forget the uncompromising uniqueness of Yahweh, of God. You see, it doesn't work to have God plus something else. That's syncretism. That's when you say, well, I'll have God, but also I'm going to trust in this thing alongside God. No, God says, don't have any other gods besides me. And it doesn't work to trust in material objects. That's paganism. Whether it's worshipping the sun, or whether it's worshipping your bank balance, or whether it's worshipping your Facebook image, or whatever it might be, that's paganism. Don't rely on that. Those things can't rescue you. They can't save you. And don't use God's name as a curse rather than as a blessing. That's just out-and-out rebellion. And don't treat God like a lucky charm. Don't talk about God's name in the same way that so many people would say, touch wood or cross your fingers or whatever it might be. That's just superstition. It's hollow and empty and worthless. So the question, why worship, really is the question of why worship God? Why worship this God revealed to us in the Bible? And the answer that God gives us in the Scriptures is because God is uniquely worthy of our worship. He alone is God. He alone is the uncreated one. Everything else is created. He alone is uncreated. Everything else is dependent on something else. Ultimately, on God himself, God alone stands independent, uncreated. And he alone is sovereign and all-powerful. He is the Lord. He is the King. Now, everybody worships something. Often, that worship is pretty twisted and distorted. What we're called to do is to worship what is most beautiful, what is most praiseworthy, what is most honorable, what is most desirable. And that is God. He is the most praiseworthy. He is the most beautiful. He's the most honorable. He's the most desirable. And when we see who Jesus is, these things will get expanded for us. We see the, the beauty of Jesus, the desirability of Jesus, the praiseworthiness of Jesus, the honor of Jesus then our hearts get filled with worship. We don't worship God as something distant, something abstract, something unknowable. No, we, we come into a relationship with Jesus. We worship because we know and feel and experience His goodness. And this means that worship can get very passionate. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 84. Let me read it to you just this expresses really passionate worship for God. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow has found a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. O oh Lord, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, 
Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold for those whose way of life is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Why do we worship We worship because God is worthy of our worship. He's owed it. He is the most praiseworthy object in the universe. And we worship God because that is where we find our delight. That is where we find our blessing. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The way the worship dynamic works is that the greater our delight in God the greater our joy because of God. That's the dynamic, that's how worship, that's how praise works in every arena of life. The more you delight in something, the greater your enjoyment because of that thing. Grace and I, when we were away on holiday a couple of weeks ago, just the two of us, we uh, uh, kind of fall into a very sort of simplistic pattern of worship where you just kind of wander around gently together and go, ah, that's a nice tree. Ah, look at that sunset. Ah, nice flower. And you might wander along behind us and think, it's a little bit quaint and not much going on, but actually it's a kind of a praise. We just... We just love wandering along together and pointing out things which are praiseworthy, things which are beautiful, things which are attractive, things which reflect something of the majesty and creative genius of God. And there should be that kind of simplicity about our worship. Oh, Jesus, so beautiful, so perfect, so honorable, so wonderful, so worthy, so desirable. And as we express our delight in, we experience delight because of. It's why we worship. God is ultimately worthy of our worship. And as we give ourselves to worship, we experience delight in the gods that we worship. But then how should we worship, especially in this crazy time like this? Well, these first three commandments give us the why, because of who God is and what he's like. The final six commandments give us more of a how in terms of our relationship with other people, the fourth commandment is really the hinge on which those two things turn. fourth commandment is the longest of the commandments, and uh, it gives both the command with an explanation of why the command is given. And basically, God says, you're to Sabbath because I, God, Sabbath. This is what it says, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day 
and made it holy. Now, this Sabbath command is actually a command to enjoy freedom. The people had come out of slavery. They'd come out of Egypt. That's actually how the whole of the uh, commandments introduced. God speaks, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And as they have come out of slavery, they're now serving a different Lord, a different God. They're not serving Pharaoh anymore. They're not serving a God who is always confiscating what they produce and getting them to endlessly produce more and more. Things are different under Yahweh than they were under Pharaoh. Living under the Lord frees us from endless productivity and from endless restlessness. What this commands the Sabbath does is to free us. It means that you don't have to keep doing more. You don't have to keep selling more. You don't have to keep buying more. You don't have to keep competing more. You don't have to keep taking your kids to sports more. You're free from all that treadmill stuff. You're freed from making bricks to coming into a place of worshiping God. And so what Sabbath invites us to do, actually, is to be single-hearted. Sabbath is the hinge on which all the commandments hang. First three commandments, have no other gods beside me, don't make any other images, God alone. When you're Sabbathing, you're invited, you're instructed not to serve God and something else. To serve God and something else is just to come back into slavery. Now, Jesus said exactly the same thing in Matthew 6. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. You cannot serve both gods and money. It's impossible to serve gods and. We're called to worship gods alone. How do we do that? We do it when we understand that we're Sabbath people, when we understand that we're free, that we've been taken out of slavery, that Pharaoh is no longer boss. We're no longer living under that tyranny. We've been released from it. We're free. And then having established that, this invitation to freedom, this invitation to Sabbath, God then gives six very simple, straightforward commandments which really are just the basic ingredients for a happy society. The six commandments, which finish off the ten, uh, show us how to live in Sabbath, how to live in rest with our neighbors. Follow these commandments on a family life. This is a society where life is protected and held valuable, where marriage is stable rather than transitory, where property is secure, where justice is guaranteed, and where the demon of envy is denied. And these things really are an expression of worship because they are ways of honoring God and honoring his creation and honoring those who are made in his image, other men and women. And all of that hangs on us being Sabbath people. Sabbath is worship. And then this all gets wrapped up in the final command of do not Covet. Coveting is a wrong desire, an envy of what your neighbor has. It's, it's uh, something which destroys worship. It brings us back into slavery, to covet, to envy, 
to wrongly desire makes us slaves again. Apostle Paul makes this very clear in Ephesians 5, verse 5. He says, for of this you can be sure, you can be sure of this. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What Paul's doing there is basically summing up the commandments. Covetousness is the same thing as greed, which is the same thing as idolatry, which is the same thing as slavery. So how are we to worship? Well, we're to worship the Sabbath way. The Sabbath way remembers who God is. This is who God is. This is the God who is... Who is God? God is the one who has brought us out of slavery. He's brought us out of Egypt. He's brought us out of the tyranny of being under Pharaoh's thumb. And this Sabbathing way of worship remembers what God has done for us. It remembers who God is, what he's done, and it's worked out in being a blessing to others. And that honors God, which is worship of God. And so the Ten Commandments give us both the why of worship. You worship God because he alone is God and he alone is worthy of worship. And it also gives us the how of worship, which is to know your freedom as a member of the people of God and then to live in a way which blesses your neighbors and helps to honor God and helps to build a strong and healthy and stable society. It's a beautiful picture. But there's more to it than that. Fast forwards hundreds and hundreds of years after God spoke to Moses and gave the people of Israel the Ten Commandments, and we come to Jesus sitting by a well in Samaria, tired and thirsty, and asking a Samaritan woman for a drink and getting into conversation with her, and then saying to that woman, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The reality is that the Ten Commandments, you read them and you think, these aren't difficult to keep. It's not too difficult to keep these. I'm not going to have an idol in my house, and I'm not going to murder my neighbor, and I'm not even going to commit adultery, and I'm not going to nick stuff. It's not a hard list to keep. But the reality is that sin is so sneaky that sin even takes what is good and twists it into something ugly. And that can happen even with the Ten Commandments. It happens even with the Sabbath. The Sabbath, which is meant to be about freedom, itself became something which submitted people to slavery again. And we get to the Gospel of John, John chapter 9 and John chapter 10, which we were looking at last week. And we read the remarkable story of Jesus healing a man who was born blind. And the Pharisees being too spiritually blind to see the wonder of the healing and seeing only that Jesus did this healing on the Sabbath. And how dare he heal somebody on the Sabbath? They're so blind, they don't see a healed man and the Savior who has healed him. And what Jesus does is breaks into that and tells us that true worship is something which happens by the Spirit and in truth. 
The Ten Commandments are true, but without the Spirit, they're dead. You can keep the Ten Commandments. You can live in an apparently righteous way. You can say that you're worshipping only God, and you can never commit adultery, and never murder anybody, and never steal anything, and be honest in your dealings. But you can still be completely dead in your relationship with the living God. What we need is the Spirit and truth. How do we worship? We worship by a lived experience of God, given to us by the presence of His Holy Spirit. We enter into this experience of the Spirit as we trust in Jesus. What the Holy Spirit does is to bring us into true Sabbath, brings us into a true experience of worship. Actually, the Spirit of God empowers us to worship. Now, in this disrupted coronavirus time, we can't worship like we normally would. We can't gather as we normally would. We can't sing and pray like we normally would. Everything is different and limited and curtailed, but we're still called to be worshippers. We're still called to be Sabbath people. We're still called to be free. Elliot Clark in his book says, as a challenge, ask us to raise our voices in praise to God outside of weekend worship, and we struggle to string together a whole sentence. That should not be. That should never be. And at this time, when we don't have our normal weekend worship, we can't afford to let worship die. What we're called to be is Sabbath people, spirit people, free people, people who love Jesus and as a consequence love other people And worship him. And it might be as simple as just walking down the road and saying, Lord, what a sky. It might be as simple as walking along and saying, wow, what a beautiful flower. Thank you, Lord. It might be as simple as an act of kindness shown to a neighbor. It might be as simple as Denying that envious thought which comes into your mind and casting it aside and saying, in Christ I have all the riches I need. I'm not going to envy what my neighbor has. And always it means living in freedom in God, in Sabbath, in rest, freed from the tyranny which would master us and dominate us and cause us to always be restless, always rushing, always anxious. Knowing the peace and the grace and the mercy of God given us by the experience of the Holy Spirit because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. The call to worship. There's no higher calling. Let's pray. I'd love to pray for us to really know the reality of the Holy Spirit at work in us so we can see Jesus. We can know what it is to live in Sabbath, in rest, in freedom. And we'll be worshippers, even if the moment we can't sing together like we normally would. Uh, Why don't you stand with me and uh, I'll pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you 
caused the Holy Spirit to be poured out on your church so that we could then step into the truth. Well, thank you for us that uh, the instructions of Scripture are not just a dry checklist to try and keep in our own power, but become for us living and life-giving. And uh, Lord, I pray for us. I pray that we would be worshippers, that we would have no other gods beside you. We wouldn't rebel or make the mistakes of paganism or syncretism. We'd see you as the one and only God. I pray that we would be good news in our neighborhoods, that the way that we live and the way that we treat people would speak of the hope that we have in Christ. And I pray that we would know what it is to be Sabbath people, to live in freedom. I pray that for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that even at this time, where we might feel trapped and restricted and constrained, I pray that we would know the freedom of who we are as the people of God, called into rest, called into Sabbath, called into grace and peace with God. I pray that for us. I pray that we'd know that, we'd feel it, we'd experience it. Lord, I pray it for anybody here, anybody who's watching uh, this on, online later, who's feeling that sense of being trapped. I pray for uh, a fresh sense of liberty, of Sabbath in God. So Holy Spirit, would you come and move on us again and fill us again and lift our eyes to Jesus and cause our hearts to be full of worship and our lives and our words to display and demonstrate that for the glory of God we ask it. Amen.